Believe it or not, there are plenty of people that make it into their middle age or, or their seniority, and they never ask the question, what is money? And then I guess money is basically a psychological commodity. So money is how we communicate. If you have a money that is not anonymous, then nothing that you buy can, can be anonymous or, or private. And it's a long-term store of value so that no matter when you use it, you are still being paid fairly for your labor. Since money and math are mankind's two universal languages, both Bitcoin and Zero are critical constructs for civilization. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. And one of the things that I think you popularized for a lot of people, or one of the connections, conceptual connections you made for me and many other people, was this connection between money and energy. And when I brought you on the show and asked you originally, you know, what is money? And you started to describe it as one of the highest, if not the highest form of energy that humans can channel. Um, it crystallized a lot of things for me and just connected money into kind of physics and engineering. And there's a whole nother perspective on money. And it, it naturally kind of begs this deeper question, I guess, which is what is the actual nature of energy itself? And I, I'd shared this with you before, but I'd read this book called Interdependence that described energy as the quantity that remains constant across all physical transformations. So whereas I had 
conceived of it as something that like flows and moves and transforms that it was really just saying that it's just this description of reality that we've applied that the one thing that doesn't change across transformations is energy so what i would like to ask you and the theme of the show of being about deep questions is michael what is energy what is the the nature of energy and i guess a little more broadly how is it related to power and the development of human civilization yeah it's a great question robert um i i went to mit and and my primary academic influence was aeronautical engineering and in aeronautical engineering you study thermodynamics and you study energy systems and and you study machines and machines are mechanisms to channel energy in order to convert potential energy to kinetic energy or to heat energy um, or the like so i'd never really thought about energy or power in the context of money or economics or politics or even history probably until I encountered Bitcoin and especially until you kind of, you catalyzed me to think this way by asking the question, what is money? Hmm. So if you, yeah, believe it or not, there are plenty of people that make it into their middle age or, or their seniority and they never ask the question, what is money? Hmm. And if you don't ask the question, what is money, then, uh, you never really start to question political energy, economic energy, or economic or political machines hmm. from an engineer's point of view. So I think I was fortunate to have an engineer's background and then to stop, take a clean sheet of paper and consider the question, what is money? And when you start asking that question, it brings you back to just the fundamentals of what is energy. Now, if we, if we just think of energy as, as uh, the, universal, the universal source of, of life, mm. of substance, period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wanna say in the universe, but <laughs> the point is it's the universal source and, and energy is such a fundamental term, like the universal source of energy is energy, you almost feel mm. silly to say it. Mm. Um, there's a certain amount of energy in the universe. There's a certain amount of energy uh, in the solar system, for the most part. Uh, there's a certain amount of energy striking the Earth. And power, of course, is the rate of energy output or, mm. or energy conversion, if you will. So, so energy matters, but, but um, once you come to terms with this, engineers know it intuitively. That's why every engineering problem given to an engineering student starts with the phrase, assuming an adiabatic system, hmm. how do you design an airfoil? How do you, mm -hmm. you know, what will be the power output or, or the output of this engine? What will happen in this circumstance? So that's a pretty good discipline for an engineer. The problem with engineers is oftentimes they are channeled to only consider the consequences of their engineering training uh, as it applies to machines or buildings or or traditional engineered systems that is uh, mm. don't apply uh, the 
mathematical tools or the logical tools you learned in engineering to politics mm -hmm. or Social banking yeah. or war mm -hmm. or um or money creation or uh the culture right or to art right you, you just stay out of those domains and you know you would just arm way avoid it away and say it's not applicable but when you ask the question, what is money? And you're an engineer and you're watching the money die. Mm -hmm. When you're watching a system fail, whether it's the Weimar Republic system or whether it's Venezuela or whether it's Nigeria or whether it's Africa or whether it's Argentina, or if you're watching the slow failure uh, of the US dollar, a slow motion train wreck, mm -hmm then you actually have to come up with a, a physical, logical, mathematical interpretation. You know, uh, a very interesting other uh, exercise is, um, what if you wanna generate the energy with water? You know, um, a small hydroelectric power plant can generate between one and 10 megawatts um, but the Three Gorges Dam in China is the world's largest hydro, uh, hydroelectric power station, had a capacity to generate 22,500 megawatts of power. Wow. 22 gigawatts. The, uh, the entire Bitcoin network runs on 10 to 15 gigawatts of power. Wow. Okay. But... Um, imagine um, a large-scale hydroelectric dam is generating anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000 megawatts of power by converting that water into electricity, right? Now, and what, what you realize is there are, there are extraordinarily efficient ways to generate power. Nuclear power is just an extraordinary way to generate uh, power and, and, and harness energy. Um, hydroelectric is also pretty extraordinary. Um, using fossil fuels like diesel or gasoline, they're flexible, uh, not, not nearly so impressive as 22 gigawatts off of one dam. Yeah. But, but then the challenge is I have, um, I have infinite energy coming off that dam, but how do I put it five miles up in the air? Mm. into an aircraft you know i have too much energy some places but i can't get it to the other place and then i have not enough energy right my global express is using jet fuel because that's what you can put up forty-five thousand feet and haul around in an airframe and we haven't quite figured out the pocket nuclear reactor that would do that job and there's no battery that will hold the electrical power that comes off a hydroelectric dam. Hmm. So, so uh, as, I, as I take that in context, and I, I come back to the passage of time and the development of civilization, there seems to be this nonstop trend for um, the most powerful, it's kind of, it's such a tautology, right? The most powerful are the most p 
powerful, right? right? <laughs> Physically powerful right? or the most politically right? powerful. Right. Those that actually uh, gather energy, channel the energy in order to direct the power, move the power around, are then able to expand. And those civilizations flourish and they dominate. And then the less powerful, less energetic, less energetic, uh, energy efficient and less energy aware they get displaced you know you mentioned the concentration of power through those different mechanisms like you said agriculture manufacturing banking um and, and government and government yeah there's lord acton's infamous dictum that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely so i'm wondering to the extent that 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 we can prevent the concentration of power in those ways, which some of those things we don't want to prevent. We don't want to prevent manufacturing. We might want to prevent central banking. We might want to prevent centralization overall. But some of these things seem to be beneficial, but we're, there's some kind of balancing act here where we're trying to harness more power, but in a decentralized way such that it doesn't breed so much corruption, perhaps? Yeah, it seems like the... Um the vectors of vice are concentrated around banking and government, mm -hmm. right? Uh, manufacturing uh, better things mm -hmm. for better living and, uh, and creating more food and or just more of everything people want is probably neither a bad or a good thing. It's, pro it's probably on the margin a good thing, right. creating, creating more of everything that human beings desire. Especially if everyone's doing it, right? It's decentralized. I mean, the challenge is, <clears throat> is really on the, on the banking and on the government side. And I guess on the banking side, if you, if you looked at civilization and said, well, half of our problems are all related to money. I mean, money is, money is economic energy. So, so when the banking gets corrupted, then, then the energy is, and the energy balance is distorted through money. And that means that, that means that some, a politician... A politician uh, that wants to fight a trillion dollar war that doesn't have a trillion dollars can now actually create a bank, borrow the trillion dollars from the bank and fight the war without anybody paying for the war. So, so banking, uh, banking and monetary networks are enabling factors for corruption and that's half the problem, I think. But it's only half the problem. The other half of the problem is governance. And that's just having the power to, to impose regulations. <laughs> and when you read, if you read enough history, it gets to be comical but when you see it in historical context, and then you realize that it's no different today. First of all, that's a, new, that's a fresh definition. I've never heard it put in those words specifically. I, I guess I've heard it in somewhat related terms. We talk about money as a social construct. Um, John Verveke talked about money as a psychotechnology, so something more like literacy or numeracy that improves our cognitive fitness to the world, whereas a, a normal technology would improve your physical fitness to the world, you know, like a shovel or something like that. Can you maybe elaborate a bit on that? Like, what is what do you mean by an economy as a psychological engine, and then what are the psychological implications of using different forms of money. This is something that is very near and dear to the heart of the show. It's like trying to explore the consequences of the corruption of money. And 
uh, it's my view, just full disclosure. It's like something about corrupting the medium of exchange creates some kind of corrupting feedback into our individual psychologies, our sociology, etc. Um, I would just, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of the Jungian analysis, the encounter, the individuation, the process of individuation, merger and assimilation, but, but even just backing up a second, I mean, we, some days when I, when, when, when the spirit strikes me, I do mm-hmm. for the, the morning show, if some topic is, you know, explaining cognitive dissonance or how cognitive closure might arise, but, uh, usually when we're talking about psyops and guarding ourselves from psyops, but let's just start with us dollar, right? I, the simulation is winked at us. It's actually called us banks and our banks. Um, so, you know, of course the word fiat, what does it mean? Everyone knows it decrees, declarations, words, right? So the whole system of, uh, the U S dollar begins with the centralized broadcasting medium, right? It, It begins with the actual news, with the shaping of reality, with the shaping of history. And, and from there, you know, and, and. In the case of America, right? In the case of America, remember we're we're dealing with a situation where Sigmund Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, who I talk about very regularly on my show, um, he's the person, for example, who invented the whole nine out of ten doctors believe, right? He he coined. Uh-huh. Um, he wrote the book Propaganda. He changed the uh-huh. name and it because of what happened with the Nazis. He invented the term public relations to. Uh, fix the term propaganda. And again, Sigmund Freud's nephew. Um, so he, he's also the guy who invented or got women to smoke cigarettes. In the 1920s, they were confused about why women weren't lighting up. And they said, well, they were worried about being licentious and being reputationally. So what he did was he hired the New York Times. He said, well, not hired. He said to the New York Times, I got a scoop. We got a, a July 4th parade. You come on this street corner, bring your cameras, and you're going to see women light torches of liberty. And these beautiful, he hired beautiful women. They walked down Fifth Avenue. They came and in front of the cameras, lit it up. From then on, women were the biggest market for smokers you've ever seen. Now, what happens with him is, what happens with him is, Edward Bernays goes uh, and becomes great friends with Eisenhower. He's he's an institution in America. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a bad person, but here's the choices that were made. These these are these are real choices. This isn't conspiracy theory or what happened in history. These are real choices that were made. What happened was um, the famous industrial military complex speech that everyone knows Eisenhower gave when he left office. Right, everyone knows that speech. He understood the corruption of the uh, military industrial complex in America. Mm-hmm. What happened was Edward Bernays helped him um, institute what would be the future of America by saying, "Okay." In order to be on a war footing for the Cold War, we need to have our industrial capacity at tip-top shape because we might need to pivot back to a war footing. And Bernays agreed with this, right? He said, okay, well, the way to do that is to turn Americans into consumers. And if they are consumers, then we'll be able to keep this war system going. Now, what ends up happening to um, Eisenhower and the industrial military complex is we get the worst of both worlds. All right. We end up offshoring all the shipping, uh, offshoring all the manufacturing, and and we became consumers anyway. The point was to have domestic manufacturing in case we needed to fight again, right? Mm-hmm. This was Bernays and, and all of his brilliance at the time. And so what ends up happening is um, we get the be- the worst of both worlds, right? We become consumers and beholden to this military industrial complex, which now 
helps perpetuate this psychological engine. And so it starts, the feedback loop begins there, right? What commercial relationships are actually facilitated by this psychological engine? Because that's, that's where the psychological engine framework comes from. What commercial relationships are possible in this system, right? So hmm. take a look at New York right now. All you need to know about the US dollar is that it costs $500,000 to put in one toilet in a central if you are can't build trains, it can't build, um, you know, Georgia passed a tax 10 years ago in Atlanta to build public transit, a real tax just for that. They've raised $5 billion from this tax or something like that. How many lines have they built? None. They can't build any. <laughs> There's not, it's not possible because the feedback loop is so broken that we end up listening to unhealthy people tell us about health. Uneducated people tell us what's education, right? Without feedback loop, without the possibility of encounter, without mm. any acknowledgement that Jungian psychology is actually a big part of these psychological engines, uh, we are beholden to the Freud and the Bernays system of mm. propaganda um, uh, manipulation. Not that it was even these people who did, wanted to do this in the first place. They just started a perpetual motion machine that is the US dollar whose feedback was only in the self-preservation of the, you know, nodes in the network. Mm -hmm. The network are broadcasting. They're the military industrial complex. They're the institutions that are all complicit in this. And mm -hmm. of course, petrodollar, right? Energy and its capacity to um, be uh, a type of currency around the world, of course, was only exclusively traded for US dollars until just this year, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying in trouble. That's what got Gaddafi in trouble. There was no such thing as another market for energy. Mm -hmm. would, right? So we never saw any building of nuclear reactors. Now, if you contrast that with what's going on in El Salvador, for example, right, where they've moved to Bitcoin and you're starting to see the types of things they're building. I mean, they're talking about thorium reactors in El Salvador. They're talking about, and even, and even just, you know, back up, you know, one of the things that the U.S dollar system stuck in this psychological engine. And one of the big advantages we have as Bitcoiners is you can't actually imagine the future through this lens anymore, right? Because the looming shadow of the things we've suppressed is, is all around us. The anxiety is a function of never encountering our shadow, never even mm. like, we can't encounter it. We can't count. How can you encounter a thing if you can't mm. count? Right? That's mm. awesome. So America has been able to bulldoze all of its problems for years. It's able to walk around the world thinking, it is a great angel of democracy when it is nothing like that. If you mm. explain it. Well, now I am a, I love America, right? I love it. I love America. Mm. Um, but we are talking about, uh, antithetical, um, um, uh, ideas here, right? It, that's the point of Jungian psychoanalysis is to right. you have an ego, you have a shadow and it's natural to have a shadow. Everyone has one. You just have to deal with it. You have to learn about it. You have to encounter it. And, and so we're stuck in this feedback loop now in our system. And here's the main drawback of the US dollar. You can't actually imagine a good future. It's not possible anymore, or at least it's not possible for me to imagine any of these things persisting into the future and allowing that to actually create a real um, articulate vision of the future. It's, it's just a haze when you try and uh, use your powers of prediction and and to use any form of vision to look into the future it's just a black hole now because mm -hmm. all of the incentives all of the commercial relationships possible with this psychological engine are the ones we've known until now 
that are filled with entropy, that are filled with um, all the anxiety we see around us. Now, mm. in the case of Bitcoin, just look at what we've built in such a short amount of time, right? We've got all the enthusiasm on Noster. We've got uh, all the building that's going on within our own communities. Um, just look at how Bitcoiners were able to traverse COVID, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Using each other in a peer-to-peer -peer network for information, not just for the money. We used each other as a peer-to-peer -peer network for information. Mm -hmm. And from there, we were able to use our own sense of laughter as a weapon. I mean, if you look at what happened just last mm -hmm. night with, with uh, or just yesterday with Pierre Rochard, right? The best jokes, the best jokes are the ones where only a part of the group knows what's happening. I don't know if you know what Pierre Rochard did with the fake news New York Times hit piece. I saw the video, but I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I, he oh, he just did a, it was a response basically, right? To the hit piece. No, no, no. It was much, much funnier, much funnier. He took, he just said, look, according to the science, and he said, this is the freshest air I've ever breathed. We've got all these plants. It was all just weeds. <laughs> producing carbon dioxide and oxygen and they're just doing a great job but it was he was joking right the yeah. whole thing make a mockery of science yeah and um and so in the end the the mimetic warfare that bitcoiners are involved in our ability to laugh at clown will not engage it on facts but to just laugh about what mm -hmm. is such a, a huge help to us that kept our spirits up during lockdowns it kept our uh a, a capacity to move forward again and and you know, when you compare these two psychological engines, that's one of the big advantages. Of yeah. It's also, it's casting derision at the existing system too, right? When you're laughing at the hypocrisy, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, an opposite response to fear almost. It's like, instead of being scared by all this, um, state sponsored fear, uncertainty and doubt campaign, you just laugh at it. You either use the service and completely give up your privacy or, or, or reveal those informations that have to be revealed in order for the service to work, or you do not use the service. Mm. Those are your two options. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, and that dovetails right into the next line where he's saying, obviously the underlying mechanism of the transaction is revealing on your behalf, then you don't have the option. So therefore, he says, therefore privacy in an open society requires anonymous transaction systems yeah you can't they're they're indispensable right because if it's not anonymous then your option has been taken away to selectively reveal or conceal yeah right money is on every uh, like on one half of every transaction right the the other side is the good that you're buying mm -hmm. but which means if you have a money that is not anonymous then nothing that you buy can can be anonymous or, or mm. private right you you would have to reveal yourself for everything that that you purchase um and you know that that's of course just for for the money itself but he frames it again more broadly anonymous transaction systems mm -hmm. which presumably includes communications as well right mm -hmm. so like even if you would have an, an anonymous money system um if you do not have an anonymous communication system uh, then again, you you would not be able to sustain your privacy, right? Because every message that you send uh, would entail the fact that that you sent the message. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's a great segue. So, I mean, it feels like an extremely strong argument. Like you can't have because again, privacy is necessary for civilized open society. So, if you want civilized open society. You need privacy, which requires anonymous transaction systems. So it's it's kind of inverting that whole argument where if you don't, 
who needs privacy if you don't have anything to hide? It's like, well, no. Do you want civilized, open, free society? Then actually you require privacy via anonymous transaction systems. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down costs. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Your views on central banking, Bitcoin, money in generally, what I guess I would, I would love to hear your answer, actually, to the question, just what is money? I, we, we've asked a lot of guests this question, gotten a lot of different answers. And then what is it about the corruption of money that seems to corrupt all these other facets of life? You know, um, it's a question I, I've been reflecting on a lot and uh, something I'm, I'm going to be talking about soon, but I, I'd just love to hear your thoughts about that. I think money is a wonderful, and even digital money could be a wonderful uh, upgrade to, you know, the, I mean, the first money was gold, right? Or, you know, you bartering, we bartered and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, gold became a, 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 a two-way barter. You, you could barter to get gold and then gold to get something else. Right. Uh, and that was useful. And then, yeah, paper was good too, as long as it was secured by Fort Knox. Mm -hmm. Then we bought the gold standard, and we created the Fed, and then all of a sudden, we we we, we let you know W. C. Fields in the liquor closet. Sure. <laughs> younger people had to look that one up, <laughs> and uh, it's it's um, then then it's just criminality, and there's there's no consequence for having a budget deficit. In fact, we got a president right now saying. You're not working with me. I'm because you won't raise the the deficit, the the, the budget ceiling. Oh my God! And it, there's no human in America other than our 
elected officials who can operate that way. Right. And they just use it. There's no question why they want to tax me because then they use it to buy votes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, more than half the citizens don't pay, inco don't pay income tax in the United States. There's no skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And people voting for a living, you know, the, the Tocqueville or somebody said, or Jefferson or somebody said, you know, you'll have the, you'll have the Republic for as long as you can uh, keep people from voting for a living. I don't know exactly what the quote was, but they figured out how to vote for a living. And the government has figured out how to control you and, and influence and, and get into every major uh, institution, cultural institution in America, from preschool to Hollywood to mainstream media to social media to, uh, I mean, just you name it. They're even getting into the sports leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's staggering to see all the entertainment business, uh, and they've gotten into, obviously, the universities. They've gotten into, you know, bio labs. <laughs> it's, uh, they're way, way, way out of their lane, and uh, now they control it all to buy votes to stay in power and to be able to buy nice little homes in Martha's Vineyard just before the uh, oceans rise to swamp it. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> That was funny. I saw someone mention that recently that all of these politicians, you know, talking out against climate change while they're at the same time buying these coastal properties. Like if they actually believed in climate change, you wouldn't want to own something near the coast, obviously. Um, so just, a, it was just kind of a, a shining example of that duplicitous nature, you know, saying that the, the ocean, the ocean's going to rise 50 inches in whatever time frame. yet I'm buying this place over here on on the so my, I, my message for the world is don't get confused by all of the chaff they drop out of the back of the airplane, the tinfoil they drop mm -hmm. out, track the, your, your little surface to air missiles. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're constantly dropping that out to, so you're not watching what the bomber is doing. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, people say, well, that's hypocritical. I laugh. No, it's a perfect strategy because you're running around calling it hypocritical instead of doing something about it. That's right. And th there's no question money is being absolutely stolen, it's being counterfeited, it's being printed, it's being ripped off, and it's mostly regressive, as I said. Mm. And it's certainly not regressive to the oligarchs because, I mean, do you think... Um, Amazon is upset when there's another smash and grab video on TikTok. Think about that. Of course not. That just, my wife doesn't go shopping anymore. She just gets on Amazon. And every time she sees a video like that, she goes, I'm not going out there. Huh. And then another restaurant gets shut down and then a big farm. How about this banking thing? If yeah. the bank is big to fail, it ought to be broken up immediately. No, what are we doing? J.P. Morgan's taking over the something Republic and and yeah. Silicon Valley Bank with and and even even Switzerland, the UBS took over Credit Suisse. The banks are getting bigger, and the and the government is calling the shots on who gets to be a banker. Why? Because when they put in out their digital coins, those banks are going to line up and toe the mark, or the government's going to say, "I'm going to." create a run on your bank and I'm not going to save you and you're all going to be screwed. And I'm going to, in fact, you're going to go to jail because you mismanaged your bank because I put a run on your bank. 
you see, you see the the do loop here that is yeah. absolutely destructive. So our banks are getting bigger, the oligarchs are getting bigger, and we're not. We don't have capitalism and a free market economy right now. We have crony statism. Yeah, that's what we got. People, people who want to push Marxism call it crony capitalism. No, there's no such thing. That's an oxymoron. It's crony statism. And, and again, you know, going back to words, crony capitalism, there's no such thing. That's like saying truthful liar. It, it, it's not. There's no such thing as crony. No, that's, that's, that's wonderfully said because capitalism is an institutionalized policy of respect for private property. So just people keeping what they earn to call that crony, I mean, it doesn't, you can't and, and, by the way, and by the way, it's also freedom is the right to be a dumbass, is the right to make a mistake and the right to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Of course. The way of nature, right? If you don't, if there's not a risk of loss, then there's no incentive to behave properly and, and intelligently. Um, just like we were saying earlier, when the money's stolen, you're just frivolous with it because you didn't earn it. You're not frivolous, but you buy it to create more, you use it to buy more power and more position and more right. control. Yeah, as we say in Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coin. And I guess in gold, it's, you know, not your gold, not your gold. <laughs> if you're not holding the physical species, then you don't have it. Um, right. Speaking of gold, you've been tweeting a lot lately. Hashtag got gold, question mark. Um, I'm curious on your views of gold versus Bitcoin. Like what makes gold better than Bitcoin? Um, you know, they're very comparable in a lot of ways in terms of what, that you can own something with no counterparty risk. You know, there's Bitcoin has a fixed supply, gold has a scarce supply. So like, what are your, how do you weigh gold versus Bitcoin and why are you so focused on gold rather than Bitcoin? Number one, it's 6,000 years of history. Mm-hmm. And when something has happened the same way 100% of the time, over 4,800 times or more than that, actually, then I know that there is historic precedence for its value. Mm-hmm. And the second big piece, and this is really where I have a challenge with Bitcoin or any or CBDCs or, or anything like that, is its utility. Because in gold and in silver, this is true for both both of these physical metals, they are used across the entire spectrum and in every single sector of the global economy. Mm-hmm. So there is there it has the broadest utility, right? And if something is used that extensively, what that's really telling you is that it has the broadest base of buyer. Mm-hmm. That's why gold has never, ever for six thousand years, it's never gone to zero because there are always buyers. Uh. And I look at intangible assets of any kind; they only have utility in one place. I think it's fabulous that you can hold a lot of wealth, and this is something in my mind what they share is that you can hold a lot of wealth in a small package and it's movable wealth, which mm-hmm. is critically important. I mean, real estate is wealth, but you can't put it on your back and walk away with it. That's right. Which, 
you can certainly do that with with gold. I mean, you just get a more and more and more rare coin or piece of jewelry or what have you, and it's easy to move a lot of wealth. And you can put uh, Bitcoin on a thumb drive and put it in your pocket. And so that to me is, if I was, if I, that's the plus in Bitcoin is that mm. you can move a lot of wealth. However, what I have a challenge seeing is its utility mm. other than that. I mean, it's, it's not a good tool of barter because the price is so volatile. Uh, and it hasn't been proven. It came out in 2009. Mm. And that was in January 2009. And then quantitative easing came out in March of 2009. Mm. And can you imagine how much more would have gone into physical gold if Bitcoin wasn't around? Yeah, well, definitely more purchasing power would have fl flowed into gold because there would have been no better alternative. Um, and I actually agree with you on gold's established history that I think it obviously it's a you know 5,000 plus year old monetary metal but not, not likely that it's going anywhere quickly however I do think there are you know swords have been around for a really long time too and then when we invented gunpowder all of a sudden swords were much less useful so I do think I'm a believer in technological innovation too radically changing things and um and the the point on bitcoin not having industrial demand i actually view that as a positive um because it's you know if if gold's market cap is what 12 or 14 trillion perhaps roughly 80 percent of that is demand for gold as a store of value or or a monetary asset let's say and the other 20 percent of gold's market cap is demand for it as an industrial metal in dental dentistry or electronics or all these other things that, that gold is used in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I look at, when I look at Bitcoin, I see an asset that 100% of its market capitalization is mo monetary premium. So it's like the invention of a pure money in a way. And I don't, although they're obviously competitive because money, monetary technologies are always competitive. I don't, I think Bitcoin and gold exist alongside for quite some time because well, again i don't think gold's going anywhere for a really long time but um when i look at the actual fundamental properties of money itself i think bitcoin is superior so that's why i advocate for bitcoin over gold not that i'm against physical gold i just prefer right. bitcoin so uh, here's a question yeah you know when you're talking about the monetary properties and when you know, I mean, the reason why money was invented was so society could specialize. You could have a farmer, you could have, you know, you could have a banker, you could have a baker, et cetera. Division right? of labor. Division of labor, exactly. And one person can't do it also makes a whole lot of sense. So when they were establishing what money is, and especially to sell it to the public, it had four key functions. And th that's part of what I'm looking at. So it's a tool of measure. It's a tool of barter. It's a short-term tool of value to make sure that you are fairly paid for your labor. And it's a long-term store of value so that no matter when you use it, you are still being paid fairly for your labor. Mm -hmm. And you are, its valuation, at least initially, 
was labor for labor. Mm-hmm. So it was a more fair system because of its you and because of the evolution of money in terms you brought up the IMF so that's made up of all the tre- all the treasury secretaries and all the central bank chiefs almost all of them in the world right uh, and you're looking at the advent of fiat money they've already removed just by creating inflation which is baked into the fiat money system so that it's by design it loses value over time it is not a long-term store of value. And what that did was it forced people to take more risk mm-hmm. to keep pace with the inflation. That's right. right. What they're talking about when we're going into the CBDCs is removing that short-term store of value because once once we do that, then they have their finger on the button of monetary policy, which they can modify, and they've talked about this, 24-7, and there are no limitations on how low they can push interest rates, which erodes your principal. I mean, it is that simple right. if you're paying that money. So now you're getting your paycheck going directly into the bank account that is immediately charging you negative rates. Mm-hmm. So the only function of money coming going forward, if they have their way, is as a short-term tool of measure. Okay, we're going to pay you this, mm-hmm. and a tool of barter. So, gold solves those other two issues. I'm not sure, and there is not enough history that Bitcoin can solve for those other two issues: a short-term store of value and a long-term store of value. Yeah, the, definitely the biggest drawback of Bitcoin is lack of established history, which is where gold is strongest. What would cause you to change your mind? I guess what would, what data would need to come in for you to consider Bitcoin proven or established or, or what have you? How do you, how do you wrestle with that? Uh, let's say the market proving of Bitcoin. Uh, more utility. That, that, that that's really the biggest hiccup that I have with it. I can see the direction that we're going in. And I, and I know that the Bank for International Settlements has carved out a very small place for private digital currencies like Bitcoin in their money flower. There's a much bigger area for commodity money, gold and silver, also in that money area. And, um, you know, and the other thing, when you look at that flower, there's just this little piece that is not underneath central bank control. So for me, it's utility because what I'm seeing as I'm watching it, and I've been watching Bitcoin since it was seven bucks mm-hmm. a coin, right? So I've been watching it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I see is I see Wall Street adopting it mm-hmm. way more than Main Street adopting it. And I see it being turned into a trading vehicle. Mm because everything has been turned into a trading vehicle. Mm. So I can't tell you what the true value is of Bitcoin, but I can of gold and not what Wall Street wants everybody to believe, but it's true fundamental value based upon history Mm. and the level of money that that the governments and the central banks are creating which at this point is created 
purely from debt. So, you know, and the new currency, I mean, it's been a bit of a struggle to find out what's going to justify it. Um, I've heard debt, which means I got to wipe out all the debt right now. And the other thing that I've heard is based on transactions. So money will be created into the system based on transactions. So the good of Bitcoin, you know, presuming that, and I'm and I'm going to just bow to you because I know that you look at it at a different level than I do, um, is that it is finite. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, what could what could persuade me is to see more utility. That's what could persuade me. Could you oh, maybe just expand upon that a bit? Because I'm not sure exactly what you mean by utility. If if we're talking about industrial okay. industrial use of Bitcoin, I'm not sure that okay. that's even possible. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand Correct. what you mean by that. Correct. What are uh, the different ways and uses of it because right now it's movable wealth mm-hmm. and it's trading wealth, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it goes up to 60,000, it's back down to 18,000, it's up to 28,000, right? This is not, right? But but for gold, they may, yeah, there's a lot of industrial uses. It's in space, it's in electronics, it's in dental, it's in money, it's in jewelry, it's in mm-hmm. food. It's in every single area. So I don't know that Bitcoin has the ability to do that because mm. it's not real, right? It's intangible. And that that's really the challenge. And, yeah. and in my personal strategy, having studied currency life cycles, and I mean, there's plenty out there to study. You see these repeatable patterns. Mm. And everybody always says this time is different, but at the end of the day, it really never is. One of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape. To take care of my brain power, I do many things, such as striving to read, write, exercise, and meditate daily. One of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is MindLab Pro. MindLab Pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power. When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com slash breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com slash breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock insurance you got to have some insurance you got to there's an insurance they shouldn't even call it insurance they should just call it in case shit <laughs> and i give a company some money in case shit happens now if shit don't happen shouldn't i get my money back <laughs> so with crowd health instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again 
you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Zero is special. Quote, In the history of culture, the discovery of zero will always stand out as one of the greatest single achievements of the human race. Unquote. Tobias Danzig, author of Number, The Language of Science. Many believe that Bitcoin is just one of thousands of crypto assets. This is true in the same way that the number zero is just one of an infinite series of numbers. In reality, Bitcoin is special, and so is zero. Each is an invention which led to a discovery that fundamentally reshaped its overarching system. For Bitcoin, that system is money, and for zero, it is mathematics. Since money and math are mankind's two universal languages, both Bitcoin and Zero are critical constructs for civilization. Just as money is the medium through which capital is continuously cycled into places of optimal economic employment, Zero gives other digits the ability to cycle, to be used again and again with different meanings for different purposes. Zero's second function is as a number in its own right. It is the midpoint between any positive number and its negative counterpart, like positive 2 and negative 2. Before the concept of zero, negative numbers were not used, as there was no conception of nothing as a number, much less, less than nothing. Brahmagupta inverted the positive number line to create negative numbers and placed a zero at the center, thus rounding out the numeral system we use today. Although negative numbers were written about in earlier times, like the Han Dynasty in China, in 206 BCE to 220 BCE, their use wasn't formalized before Brahmagupta, since they required the concept of zero to be properly defined and aligned. In a visual sense, negative numbers are a reflection of positive numbers cast across zero. And in the next image, I just show a simple number line that goes from negative 9 through negative 1 with a 0 at the center and then positive 1 through positive 9. And the caption reads, 0 is the center of gravity for our entire numeral system, just as money is central to any economic system. Interestingly, negative numbers were originally used to signify debts well before the invention of double-entry accounting, which opted for debits and credits, partly to avoid the use of negative numbers. In this way, zero is the medium of exchange between positive and negative domains of numbers. It is only possible to pass into or out of either territory by way of zero. By going below zero and conceptualizing negative numbers, Many new and unusual, yet extremely useful, mathematical constructs come into being, including imaginary numbers, complex numbers, fractals, and advanced astrophysical equations. In the same way, the economic medium of exchange, money, leads to the acceleration of trade and innovation, so too does the mathematical medium of exchange, zero, 
lead to enhanced informational exchange and its associated development of civilizational advances. From a moral perspective, sovereignty is always superior to tyranny. And from a practical perspective, tyrannies are less energy efficient than free markets because they require tyrants to expend resources in forcing compliance with their imposed rule sets and protecting their turf. Voluntary games, like those of free market capitalism, outcompete involuntary games, like those of centrally planned socialism, as they do not accrue these enforcement and protection costs. Hence the reason capitalism or freedom outcompetes socialism or slavery in the long run. Since interpersonal interdependency is at the heart of the comparative advantage and division of labor dynamics that drive the value proposition of economic cooperation and competition, we can say that money is an infinite game, meaning that its purpose is not to win, but rather to continue to play. After all, if one player has all the money, the game ends, like the game of Monopoly. In this sense, Bitcoin's terminal money supply growth or inflation rate of absolute zero is the ultimate monetary shelling point, a game-theoretic focal point that people tend to choose in an adversarial game. In game theory, a game is any situation where there can be winners or losers. A strategy is a decision-making process, and the shelling point is the default strategy for games in which the players cannot fully trust one another, like money. The next image I show like a visual representation of the shelling point, and the caption I write, Among many spheres of competing interpersonal interest, scarcity is the shelling point of money. Economic actors are incentivized to choose the money that best holds its value across time, is most widely accepted, and most clearly conveys market pricing information. All three of these qualities are rooted in scarcity. Resistance to inflation ensures that money retains its value and ability to accurately price capital across time, which leads to its use as an exchange medium. For these reasons, holding the scarcest money is the most energy-efficient strategy a player can employ which makes the absolute scarcity of Bitcoin an irrefutable shelling point, a singular, unshakable motif in games played for money. A distant digital descendant of zero, the invention of Bitcoin represents the discovery of absolute scarcity for money, an idea as equally unstoppable. Similar to the discovery of absolute nothingness symbolized by zero, the discovery of absolutely scarce money symbolized by Bitcoin is special. Gold became money because out of the monetary metals, it had the most inelastic or relatively scarce money supply, meaning that no matter how much time was allocated towards gold production, its supply increased the least. Since its supply increased at the slowest and most predictable rate, Gold was favored for storing value and pricing things, which encouraged people to voluntarily adopt it, thus making it the dominant money on the free market. 
Before Bitcoin, gold was the world's monetary shelling point because it made trade easier in a manner that minimized the need to trust other players. Like its digital ancestor, Zero, Bitcoin is an invention that radically exchange that radically enhances exchange efficiency by purifying informational transmissions. For Zero, this meant instilling more meaning per proximate digit. For Bitcoin, this means generating more salience per price signal. In the game of money, the objective has always been to hold the most relatively scarce monetary metal, gold. Now, the goal is to occupy the most territory on the absolutely scarce monetary network called Bitcoin. In summary, the invention of Bitcoin represents the discovery of absolute scarcity or absolute irreproducibility, which occurred due to a particular sequence of idiosyncratic events that cannot be reproduced. Any attempt to introduce an absolutely scarce or diminishing supplied money into the world would likely collapse into Bitcoin, as we saw with the Bitcoin Cash fork. Absolute scarcity is a one-time discovery, just like heliocentrism or any other major scientific paradigm shift. In a world where Bitcoin already exists, a successful launch via a proof-of-work system is no longer possible due to path dependence. Yet another reason why Bitcoin cannot be replicated or disrupted by any other crypto asset using this consensus mechanism. At this point, it seems absolute scarcity for money is truly a one-time discovery that cannot be disrupted any more than the concept of zero can be disrupted. A true Bitcoin killer would necessitate an entirely new consensus mechanism and distribution model. With an implementation overseen by an unprecedentedly organized group of human beings, nothing to date has been conceived that could even come close to satisfying these requirements. In the same way that there has only ever been one analog gold, there is likely to only ever be one digital gold. For the same quantifiable reasons, a zero-based numeral system became a dominant mathematical protocol and capitalism outcompetes socialism. The absolute scarcity of Bitcoin's supply will continue outcompeting all other monetary protocols in its path to global dominance. Numbers are the fundamental abstractions which rule our world. Zero is the vanishing point of the mathematical landscape. In the realm of interpersonal competition and cooperation, money is the dominant abstraction which governs our behavior. Money arises naturally as the most tradable thing within a society. This includes exchanges with others and with our future selves. Scarcity is the trait of money that allows it to hold value across time, enabling us to trade it with our future selves for the foregone opportunity costs, the things we could have otherwise traded money for had we not decided to hold it. Scarce money accrues value as our productivity grows. For these reasons, the most scarce technology, which otherwise exhibits sufficient monetary traits, divisibility, durability, recognizability, portability, tends to become money. Said simply, the most relatively scarce money wins. In this sense, what zero is to math, absolute scarcity is to money. It is an astonishing discovery, a window into the void, just like its predecessor, Zero.
reality throws a lot of different problems at us. So I guess nature gave us this very wide diversity of skills and talents and features, biological features, mm -hmm. such that we can contend with reality in any of its different manifestations. But we can contend with it best when we right. collaborate and we collaborate best when we orient ourselves under higher principles. So yep. Yep. it's fascinating to think about. And it's fascinating that yep. money, of all things, as us sitting here talking about these mm -hmm. esoteric, Jungian, archetypal conversations. Yeah, but money is... Many of your episodes discuss money clearly, but even the definition of the social contract aspect of it, right? It is it is very much of a network effect to begin with. Mm -hmm. And network effect is the concept of the power of connection. Yes. Right? Yeah, so, what you just said, right? right? Yeah. So money is how we communicate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's how we communicate by giving each other what value we have and then gaining value by getting something in return so it's a form of communication yeah. and he, as humans back to the power of connections that's how we connect with each other in the most meaningful authentic way mm -hmm. right yeah because i can tell you you're great and you'll be like okay i kind of believe you yeah but, but it's low low cost exactly. messaging versus high cost, high messaging. cost messaging yeah <laughs> yeah it's like I'm putting, like, I have skin in the game and yes. I give you money. Yes. Because it truthfully is meaningful. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's the best compliment. Yes. Because I could have done something else with that money. Right, right. So it is It is a form of not, like, creating connections between humans when we, so that's why I love capitalism so much. Yes. Like, I think the essence of it is very spiritual in a essence. Yes, it is. Right? When I give you money, that means I am complimenting you for what the value you brought to me. Yes, exactly. And when you pay me, you're telling me, okay, good job. It given me something. It's like a praise or something. It's a praise. It's yeah. a gratitude yes. format. Yeah. But in a way that nothing else can be as meaningful. Yes. And it, when you describe too that we're we're generating power through right. connection. 100%. Money is almost like a manifestation of that, right? It's like exactly. this money is power, right? And money has no power right. in a world where there's no connection, right? If you're yeah. alone on a desert island, well, money is, it means nothing. You have no trading partners. There's no division of labor. Mm -hmm. There's nothing being produced. So money has no claim on anything. It holds yep. no power. But when there's a network of people engaged in collaboration, all of a sudden money is almost is synonymous with power. We'll say money is power, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that it's that it's the connections ultimately. Yes. It's the relationships that yeah. give humans empowerment. One hundred percent. Uh and the the more that the more that we can I guess maintain the integrity of those connections. Right. Well, now I'm thinking like if you debase the currency, right, yes. into hyperinflation, all the connections are broken, right? No one can use money with anyone else. Society collapses. But with incorruptible money mm -hmm. or undebasable money like Bitcoin, in theory, you could uphold those connections forever. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it contributes to the collective empowerment of the species, I guess. 100%. Back to the concept of the hierarchy versus autocracy, entrepreneurial culture, and mm. the difference. In a hierarchy, in an environment of a fiat system, right, there is a lot of links, but some are not active. Mm -hmm. Because I cannot pick up the phone and call Biden today, <laughs> right? 
I cannot be like, hey, what was that about? Like, right? Like, that, that was... That was he wouldn't you know, know what it was anyways. Yeah. Like, what is this thing like, ringing at me? Like, <laughs> but, like, I can call... Like, there is no connection, real link between my note and that note. That's right. There is a hierarchy and that that actually there is lack of transparency. There is lack of access. There is lack of connection mm -hmm. back to that power of connection. Yes. Whereas when you make it flat, when you make it decentralized, mm -hmm. you allow for this node to communicate with that node and give feedback. Yes. And that is the essence of a spontaneous live economy, mm -hmm. which again, economy, people are kind of separate those concepts, is very much the essence of human flourishing mm -hmm. and the essence of us telling each other, I appreciate that about you, mm -hmm. do more of that, and then you know me better that way, and then we can become better in that relationship. Yes. Serve each other better. Yes. No, it's it's beautifully said. Information is flowing. Exactly. Right, which is, again, back to that other meaning of the word meaning. When information right. is flowing, all of a sudden we can make sense of the world around us, and we are more free to pursue purpose and the other meaning of the word meaning. 100%. Um, it's remarkable, isn't it? I don't, it's just, I, sometimes I have these fascinating conversations with people like you, and I'm like, how did we get here yeah. talking about money? But it is it has to do with these things, connection, yes. empowerment, integrity, mm -hmm. freedom, truth, justice. They're all somehow wrapped up in this economic concept. It is. I mean, Bitcoin does not have followers because it's just money, right? right. Bitcoin has... And again, we talked about money as being this fan fantastic thing. I'm not saying minimizing its importance, but I'm saying Bitcoin is a philosophy. Yes, yes. Bitcoin is a way of life. It's a worldview. It's now you have this lens in front of your eyes that everything shifts as a result of it. Yes. Right? I look at it like my my rabbit hole right now, obsession is leadership, right? Like yours is money. This is like, But we're all looking at things yes. in a new way. Yes. Right. So the question is now that we are confronted by this disorienting dilemma, this change, this questioning, this self examination, what is next? Yes. And that is up to us to decide, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So how are we going to empower one another? Right? Take on a leadership role. Yes. To empower one another in the most authentic way. And asking the right questions and improving the connections mm -hmm. by the way that allows for the network to grow. Mm. So I think the answer to it all is the power of connections. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Right? Yeah. And seeing how that can manifest. I think that is a beautiful place to end it. Mm -hmm.